season. Brand new dawn for Formula One. And it's lights out and away we go. The grid here on riotradio.ca. It's me again. Hello. I'm your host, Devin Halbert. And today we're talking about everything about F1. You know, all the good stuff. Especially considering that last weekend was a race weekend. I know we went about a week without a race. And that was hard. It was a long week. It was a long, like, two weeks without a race. Uh, but we had Baku last weekend, which is very exciting and very good. Um, Baku is, is considered to be one of the favorites for race day. Um, a lot of the drivers really like it. I think specifically Pierre Gasly really likes it. Um, that being said, the track is really difficult to get ready for. I think a lot of people forget that F1, it's an engineering sport. Sure, the drivers are kind of like the stars, but there's so much that goes into F1 that is from an engineering and a physics standpoint that I think a lot of people tend to overlook. Um, or maybe that's just me. Maybe I just overlooked it. That being said, this track specifically is really difficult to get ready for, for a variety of reasons. Uh, I got an image to show you. This is the Baku track as a whole, um, as well as some of the key information about it. It's got 51 laps. It's 6.003 kilometers. So here's the rub. This is why the track is so difficult to get ready for and why free practice is so important for every race, but Baku especially. So if you look on the bottom, you start on the uh, on the bottom straight there and you got two very 90 degrees of, of, uh, of turns there, for lack of a better word. Um, so turn one, two, and three, they're all 90 degrees. And then turn four, if you look there, it's actually a little bit more of like, uh, it's another 90 degrees, but it's just to the left. Uh, so that's good because all those are straight. So straight line speed is so important and so good. So you want to have less downforce. Downforce makes you slow. So you don't always want to have it. Um, that being said, the other half of the circuit, you're going up and going around uh, Casa de Baku. I believe that's what it's called. If not, for layman's terms or in English, it's just the Baku Castle. Um, but going around it, it's nothing but chicanes and turns, and you're trying to get through it quickly, and you're trying to uh, get these turns just right, which you might want more downforce. Because downforce also allows you, even though you're a little bit slower, it allows you to turn better because you're putting more grip onto your tires and basically gluing it to the floor. So it's a little bit easier to turn and navigate. So having that nice balance in between is so important and so difficult to get ready for. So usually the strategy is you're strong in the straights or you're slow in the in the corners or you're strong in the corners and slow in the straights. That being said, that oil and water kind of combination is also the same kind of strategy that Red Bull and Ferrari have been doing for the past, well, eight, eight races, eight rounds of racing. So Red Bull has been very strong in straights. And everybody knows that they've been really good and really strong for that. But Ferrari has been fast in the corners. So it's kind of that nice uh, combination of, you know, what do you want? What do you value more? Uh, and Ferrari has been doing well in qualifying and coming out on top there. Uh, and somehow they haven't been it hasn't translated to race day. And we'll talk more about that a little bit later because that's a whole ditty. OK, cool. So 
FP1. We'll talk about free practice first, then we'll go to a break, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about uh, qualifying in the race itself. We also got some cool post-race stuff to talk about. So, free practice one. Now, TSN, I got beef. I got lots of beef. Because I understand. I get it. These races that happen overseas, they're at 7, 8, 9 in the morning. Really early in the morning uh, for Eastern Time North Americans. That being said, I still want to watch them, you know, so you can broadcast them or put them on another channel. You know, TSN, you have five channels and you can just just pick one. I just need one. One, please. Like the, it's, it's an hour, not even 45 minutes of free practice. That's all I ask. It's all I ask for FP one and three. Uh, that being said, I didn't get a chance to watch them because unfortunately they weren't broadcasting, but we did catch the highlights and we got a good example as to what was happening. So. In FP1, there were plenty of issues for all free practice. Most of the cars, they were touching. They were going into the corners. They were using, making great use of the runoff. Uh, I know Sebastian Vettel as well as Lando Norris. Uh, same with Fernando Alonso. All these drivers, they had to use the runoff at least once during free practice. And that's good-ish. It gives you data and it understands. There's no such thing as like a mistake in free practice because whatever you make a mistake you just learn from it and you're going into race day and it almost like it doesn't really matter. So if you are a new F1 fan and you're not entirely sure when it is you should be watching or what you should be watching, uh, free practice is kind of like a nothing day. So Fridays are usually not that great. That being said, it's still interesting to watch. You can see the cars go around and you do some interviews and that's really good. And you can get some insight as to how the drivers and uh, some of the team principals are feeling come race day. That being said, Free practice isn't as important as qualifying in the actual race. Uh, and the only time a mistake is meaningful is if the car is undrivable for the weekend, which no company would let that happen if it was possible. Uh, that being said, we've seen lots of accidents happen in Q3. And Q3 and qualifying happen the same day and cars can't, uh, they, they won't be able to uh, compete in qualifying and they start at the back of the grid. Uh, luckily that didn't happen in Baku. So, uh, FP one through three, lots of people were, were tapping the wall, um, had some issues. Max Verstappen in, uh, FP three caught lots of traffic coming out of the last turn, uh, into Baku castle. So he was not happy about that. Understandably. Uh, we got some really interesting stuff going on during that. Uh, and overall FP free, free practice wasn't that interesting. There wasn't too much that really happened that was like, wow, that was really interesting. Probably the most interesting thing that happened about it was simply the results. Most of the time, or at least for the past like eight rounds of racing, Charles Leclerc has been so strong and so good in free practice as well as qualifying that he just blows everyone out of the park. It's He's so quick and so much faster than everyone else. However, this did not happen in free practice one or three. Sergio Perez dominated the timing tables uh, for FP1 and FP3, which is great to see. Honestly, he's got that new contract uh, bolster, I guess, for lack of a better word. Sergio Perez is just dominant, and he's doing so well, and lots of people made reference to it. Also, coming off a win in Monaco, massive, is such a great thing. Uh, and he is just doing so well. And even at the beginning of the race, uh, he did great. He did so well. Uh, but we'll get into that in a little bit. 
So FP1 was Sergio Perez, then it was Charles Leclerc, and FP2, he kind of retook that. And I feel if you're not sure why they do three different sets of practice, uh, I have a loose understanding as to why they do it. I'll say this was Cornell, don't quote me on this. Uh, but they use each day to kind of figure out and optimize the car in such a way that you have optimal downforce. Everything is tuned and corrected in such a way. They also use, I believe it's FP3, to try and figure out which tires work best for the car and for the race itself. So they test every single tire, uh, with the exception of inters and wets, because if you don't use them, you don't, like if, you, if your race isn't going to have them, there's no point in you trying them. Plus, it doesn't make sense to try them out in dry conditions. They're intended for wet conditions. So if it's not raining, don't use them. Uh, so they do that throughout the entire rest of the week. Uh, if you want more insight on that, I know Aston Martin puts out great videos and have lots of understanding as to what it is that they do during each individual free practice. Uh, honestly, I'm, I've really been enjoying Aston Martin lately. Uh, I've been, I've one. I already really like Sebastian Vettel and Lance Stroll is, you know, Lance Stroll. Uh, but in terms of their content and what they put out and what it is they talk about, they're really transparent about what happens behind the scenes. And I think that's really important from an educational standpoint. Plus, it helps newer fans get into the sport more if they want to learn a little bit more as to what goes on behind the scenes on each individual day. But enough about that. We're going to throw to some music when we come back. We're going to talk about the race itself. So before you go, though, we you can follow us on social media at DCSA Media Hub. Uh, the music we're going to play for you today is No Good by Kaleo here on RiotRadio.ca. Welcome back to Off the Grid here on RiotRadio.ca. You're back. It's me. I'm back again. Hello. We were talking about Baku FP3, but honestly, it wasn't that exciting. So there wasn't too much to talk about about it, which is too bad. Um, and also, I missed like half of it. That being said, I watched all of Q, well, all of qualifying and all of the race. Okay, so we have lots to talk about with qualifying. Qualifying was an absolute mess for Q1, uh, and I loved it. It was so good. <laughs> so uh, the first thing that we need to bring up is the elephant in the room, and that is Lance Stroll. What are you doing? What is going on? So Lance Stroll, I, man, I get it. His dad owns the stream. His dad owns the team, uh, Aston Martin. He gets paid like $10 million just to be there. And he brings in a lot of money because of his dad. But come on. Like, we've seen Lance Stroll on the podium. We've seen him do well. And, you know, I, I don't want to dislike our Canadians. I really don't. Uh, but you know, you're not giving me many reasons to not. <laughs> so what I'm talking about specifically is in Q1, Q1 Lance Stroll, he buries the car into a wall coming out of, I believe it's uh, turn 14. It's near the end of the, uh, Baku castle. And that's totally fine. You know, it happens. It's, it's whatever. Uh, the damage looked pretty minimal. Maybe the, maybe when he came back onto, uh, the race itself, it wasn't very safe, but you know, it is what it is. What bugs me is he opted not to pit. I don't know whose decision this was to not pit and fix the damage that had been caused because there was obvious damage or some kind of damage 
on the car. But no one was like, yeah, you know, maybe we should bring it in for a pit because it's qualifying. You know, sure, time matters, but it's not like you're going to lose positions if you take a moment, bring the car in and have it give it a once over, you know. So he doesn't pit. He's got two flat spots on the front of his tires. And what does he do? He buries it into turn three. What is going on? What was the decision there? So he he completely just shunts the car straight into the wall, wrecking his uh, his front right tire and basically saying to Aston Martin, you know what? We're just going to we're going to qualify P19. Not good. And they have to retire the car during qualifying. So now the, the engineers have to spend all night trying to get it ready for the race. So. Is Lance Stroll the new Latifi? Latifi has been great, and he hasn't crashed the car in, like, five races. Sure, he's been, like, 30 seconds to a minute behind everyone, but, you know, I'd rather have a car that's slow than have one buried into the into the wall. So, I don't know. Take your pick. I'd much rather not cost my company millions of dollars. At least if you don't. At least if you finish and you're, like, in last, you still finished, Right. And it's not a DNF and you're not causing more stress to your team, right? It just makes sense. Now, because Lance Stroll crashed into the wall, there was a big red flag. The the qualifying was delayed for, want to say, five to ten minutes, which is no problem. Now, there was only three minutes and 30 seconds left in qualifying. Why is that important? Well, the average lap time around the circuit was a minute 40, I believe, or a minute 30. So you have a minute 30 to do a, a warm-up lap, and then you got to push, and you got to go because you won't have any other opportunities, especially when everyone else is queuing up to get out of the pits so they can go around and do the same thing. So there was a crazy amount happening during the last few minutes of Q1. I've got a video of it just to show how stressful and how much the drivers needed to get their elbows out. So we'll show that to you now. Those out, overtake cars. It is one minute remaining. We are on the edge. We're going to have to push like hell. And everybody uh, out on the track from Joe Guanyu down, except Esteban Ocon, who thinks he's safe. They might all make it, you know, here. I think Schumacher is going to get past, but Daniel's getting the tour now, but you can see the three cars in front are going to get Daniel's way later in the lap. Oh, that's the trouble. And what? Lando. They've all made it. Uh, they have all made it. I think Nicholas Latifi uh, did uh, uh, come out. He's out there as well. Checker flag is now waving. These are the laps uh, that are going to count. So as you can see, it was crazy Q1. You had uh, McLaren's race engineer telling Landon Norris, get your elbows out. We're gonna, it's going to be a race to the checkered flag at the end of Q1. And then we heard Schumacher's uh, race engineer saying the exact same thing. Like, you got to push. We got to go. For just to get to the end, just get to the checkered flag and the race line so that we can get a good lap out. So if you haven't watched qualifying uh, or if you're new and you're not too sure how quite it goes or if you've just seen Drive to Survive qualifying, you usually get at least one lap as kind of like a warm up lap. It gets your tires to temperature, it gets your brakes to temperature so you can brake and get good grip when you're going around these corners. So that way you can get a faster lap. 
Uh, but the other thing that's also included that I don't think too many people mention is that the battery is also really important. Your battery controls so much in the car. It controls your heads-up display on the steering wheel. It controls your ERS as well as your DRS. So, so much of it is so important. So getting that energy saving in your car is vital. Now, that being said, Q1 was... I wouldn't say it was disappointing. You know, the, the usual suspects were there. I'm pretty sure it was Latifi. It was Alex Albon, which was absolutely heart wrenching because Alex Albon, he's not a bad driver. He's driving an uncompetitive car. So it's very difficult for him to perform and for him to do well. And you can hear it. He, he had such a bad weekend in Monaco. And then he comes to Baku and he can't get out of Q1. And he blames Fernando Alonso for this, too. So during the last few minutes or last minute or so, of qualifying Fernando Alonso, he had to use the runoff space because he wasn't going to be able to make the turn. Now there's a lot of suspect and a lot of question as to why Fernando, Fernando Alonso, he's two time world championship from like 2004. I want to say maybe sooner. Uh, actually, no, that's Michael Schumacher. My bad. That being said, he's still, he's not a novice driver. He's not brand new. So the fact that he was driving slowly and then still couldn't make the turn is mind-boggling. And Alex Albon was someone who called him out for it and said, hey, that's not okay. He should get penalized for screwing up my lap because he was driving too slowly and then used the runoff. Didn't even continue and finish the lap, you know? Now, I, I haven't been watching the sport long enough to make that kind of judgment call on my own. I can only take the information that's presented in front of me and whether Alonzo was going too slow or not or it was intentional or whatever. It's not for me to decide. All I know is he was in eighth gear going down the straight and he still had to downshift and downshift and downshift and we can see on footage that we can see his his hands start to wiggle. Maybe something happened with the car. There's a lot that we don't know. So it's really tough to make that judgment call as a fan and a viewer. Uh, that being said, Alex Albon may be correct. We'll have to find out in a later day. Uh, there could be some allegations thrown out. We'll just have to wait and find out. Okay, cool. So Q2 was pretty uninteresting. Unfortunately, both McLarens were out. Uh, during that time, I'm a big fan of McLaren, um, just by the way they perform and the way they do. Also, just Daniel Ricciardo and Lando Norris is just a comedy pairing made in, like, just a fantastic pairing. Um, so that was hard to see. I think they queued P11, P12, so it wasn't too bad. Now, it was another great day for both the Mercedes. It was actually good for Mercedes. Red Bull and Ferrari, all three of these big companies um, did a phenomenal job. All the drivers did really well. Uh, it was a Ferrari day, unfortunately, or fortunately. If you're a Ferrari fan, it was a good day for you. Charles Leclerc, he got pole again. Uh, I think he's gotten pole a five, five out of the eight times this season, which is great. Uh, and you, you love to see it. Uh, you had Sergio Perez in second, Max Verstappen third, Carlos Sainz in fourth, and then it was George Russell in fifth, I believe, uh, with Lewis Hamilton bringing up, I believe he was bringing up seventh or eighth, uh, and Sebastian Vettel was in there as well. Uh, big eyes were on, a lot of eyes were on Sebastian Vettel to perform because he hasn't finished less than P5 in the past five years of racing in Baku. So that was also really interesting to watch. So Charles Leclerc was on pole. Now, one thing we've noticed, or I've noticed, while when Charles Leclerc gets pole, that doesn't really mean anything. 
He's got the car to get on pole, and he was 0.5 seconds ahead of everyone else, but he, it never translates to race day. So he's won once, maybe twice off of pole position. Of, of the five times he's been on pole, like, what's going on? How can the Ferraris just not be able to capitalize on the fact that they have an astounding, like, they have they have position on track, and they just can't seem to do anything with it. So in the first few minutes of the race, uh, the race starts, lights out, and so away we go. Charles Leclerc, he's he's off and he's ready to go. And I don't know what's going on, but he locks up. Either his tires are cold or his brakes are cold, but he locks up going into the first turn. Sergio Perez just gets ahead of him, and he, he, he just takes the race from him. Sergio Perez, he leads for majority of the race. I believe it was like 14 laps, give or take, and it was Sergio Perez and Red Bull in front. So how does that happen? How does Charles Leclerc not be able to translate pole positions to results on race day? Now, this was an especially bad race for Ferrari, but we'll get to that in a moment. The other thing that happened was five cars DNF'd in Baku. That's a quarter of the grid, which is unbelievable. So many cars were just out, which means that, uh, (laughs) funny to say, Nicholas Latifi finished 15th. Because 15th was the only position that he could get without being out of the race. Anyways, we'll show you a couple of clips as to what those look like and when those happened for the DNFs. So here that is. The flag in sector one. Carlos Sainz looks like he stopped at turn four. It is Carlos Sainz who stopped at turn four. And there is Carlos Sainz in the Ferrari, was running in fourth place. And he's gone on, sadly, into the runoff area at turn four. Now, has he kept the engine running? Oh. oh no, and now we have a blowout coming down the Leclerc. straight, and that is Charles Leclerc, whose teammate is out of the race, and Leclerc has an engine failure that is showering plumes of smoke onto the track, and Ferrari have a double DNF here in Baku, and it is game over for the Scuderia. Problem, problem, engine. We'll come oh, back to it's a second retirement in three races for Charles Leclerc out of this race and limping back to the pits. And boy, does that change the complexion of this race. Do I'm afraid we have a technical issue. We have to box. We have to box. I'm afraid. Are you kidding me? Again. Guys, we cannot always have any problems while we have a chance. Yeah. Okay, we need to stop. Okay, Kevin, you stop the car, stop the car, stop the car. Okay, so at the moment, 16 second gap behind. Yeah, terrible day for Ferrari. So much happens. Uh, there's a bunch of cars out, but both Ferraris DNFing, that is massive. Uh, and that just hurts them so much for the championship. Funny enough, it was both power units. Uh, the other two was Joe Guan Yu again. And he, man, he is not happy. He is not finished four of the eight races. 50% of the races that have happened thus far have he, he's been out. And he's not happy about it. We see, okay, in qualifying Q1, Joe Guan Yu went fourth on the timing charts. So how is this driver not able to perform better? And honestly, it's it's the car. It's the car's technical ability. We can see that Guan Zhou Guan Yu can can drive, and he does, and he performs well. He just 
doesn't have the competitiveness of the car. So it, it sucks to see, and, and you you hate to see it, that Joe can't seem to perform just because he's, he's, the equipment's just not that good. Um, that being said, you look, you, the argument on the flip side is Valtteri Bottas has been able to perform exceedingly well, and his car has maybe DNF'd once. So where's the issue? I get that there's two separate teams per car, but but still, you know. Okay, another thing that was happening just before I move on to Ferrari. Uh, Nicholas Satifi, he had a 10-second time penalty right at the beginning of the race because he overshot his grid position. And he was a little bit farther than everyone else. He actually had to get a teammate to come out and push him back into position, which is wild. I've never seen that happen before. So it, it's Nicky boy. Come on. It, it's you've been doing like how many races has he done? And it just hasn't worked out for him in that way. Or he has been in the correct position. Anyway, so he had a 10-second stop-go penalty, and he had to serve that before he was able to continue to move on. Okay, both are Ferraris. Ferraris both DNF'd, and that, it's painful. You hate to see it. Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz are phenomenal drivers, and they're so good. And both of them just not being able to finish the race because the car just dies on them. Uh, Charles Leclerc, he had full-on engine failure, and I believe that that Carlos Sainz had a hydraulic failure. Um, halfway through the race, I believe it was by lap nine, he was out. And, you know, I love both drivers. They're both so good and so talented. And I would like to see more competitiveness from them. And I, I, I've seen the, you, you look back in Monaco and you see that, that Charles Leclerc just is not, like, he was not able to perform because of a tire, a, a pit error, you know? And then, you see him. You see this happen in Baku, and, and ah, man, you just—I would like to see them bounce back. You know, I want to see a fight for the title, and I just don't want it to be Charles Leclerc. I don't want it to see Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez just fighting for it. You know, I'd like to see the Ferraris try and go for the title, but I don't know. We've also seen the pit boss uh, Mattia Bignotto not—he seems uh, apathetic to the idea of competing. And you're like, come on, like, what, do you, what do you mean you're not interested in the title this year? You spent four years working on this car for this year. So I, will, I want to see them perform. I want to see them continue to do well. It's you just hate to see it, you know, and the rest of the race, in my opinion, if you're watching the race for first or second, it was really boring to watch because you're just watching two Red Bulls fight for each other and they've got a 20 second gap in between first and second. So. How interesting is that to watch Max Verstappen win again? But anyways, I move on. So that being said, if you didn't know, Max Verstappen, he won. So it was a 1-2 for Red Bull again with George Russell pulling up in third, which is great. He is now in the title of Mr. Consistency. We like to see that George Russell's done really well, uh, and he's been, I think this is the sixth race. He's outperformed uh, Lewis Hamilton. And speaking of Lewis Hamilton, he... What happened to him? Where has he gone? <laughs> like, Lewis Hamilton, he, he's seven-time world championship. He's got so many records, and he's done so well. What happened? You know, his back's been hurting. He's been in pain. He hasn't been able to do well. So, you know, you just... I just want him to succeed and be back to where he's supposed to and be able to fight for the title. I'd love to see a 2021, you know, Max versus... Uh, uh, Max versus Lewis again. Um... 
But yeah, even after this race, he was saying his back was complaining. But we'll talk about it a little bit later. Okay, there's also McLaren drama. McLaren with Danny Ricardo and Lando Norris. As we know, Danny Ricardo has not been able to perform for some reason. Maybe the car just hasn't been tuning well. He hasn't been able to get a good fit for it. But Lando Norris has outperformed him and outqualified him basically every race this season. But this one was a little different. Ricardo is sitting behind Lando and he's telling him, I need you to push because I have more pace than you. So we get to hear a little bit of their team orders and a little bit of what's going on. We have a video for that and take a look. Okay, Lando, here's the situation. If you can close up on Daniel, and if Daniel can't close up on Alonso, we will let you through. But if we can't overtake Alonso, we will relinquish the position towards the end of the race. Happy? Yeah, happy. But tell him to push more. Alonso has said this is all the pace he's got. Daniel's trying his best. Yeah, uh, maximum pace, mate. Lando, three laps to go. We think Alonso's too fast. We're going to hold position. Why hold position? We held position stint one. We're returning the favour. Yeah, but that was for the strategy. This is for a finishing position. With two laps to go, we don't think you'll get him. Okay, Lando, there's one lap to go. The whole position is a good result for the team. Appreciate it. All right. I'll stay behind him. So as you can see, McLaren having some difficulties, you know, little difficulties in the house. But, you know, it, I'm not surprised. So if you're not sure exactly what happened, that kind of explained everything. But early on in the race, Ricardo was stuck behind Lando uh, because he was helping them out with a certain pit strategy and a certain tire strategy. Ricardo asked if he has if this is the best he can do, swap places with me because I can do better. So, uh, you know, and they were told, no, no, we can't do that. So what happened later on is the position swap because Lando goes to pit. Ricardo gets in front. Pierre Gasly eventually overtakes him and goes ahead of him. Same with Lewis Hamilton. He overtakes and Ricardo's sitting in sixth, I believe. So he eventually goes to pit behind a safety car and all sorts of stuff happens. And near the end of the race, he is straight up told he is straight up told, do not overtake to Lando. Lando, do not overtake Daniel. We like this position. We're good. We're in the points. Let's stay here. And Lando's talking back and he's like, well, what do you mean? I can I can get ahead of him. So why am I sitting behind him? Uh, and to me, it's just I want the McLarens to do well. I want to see them succeed and, you know, play nice. But apparently that's not the case. Uh, and he had to, basically had to be told just drive whole position don't move forward because we do we we had did the favor for him before so it's great to see that both McLaren's got points you just don't like to hear that kind of talk over the radio you know it's interesting it's it's juicy it's dramatic but you know i want to see the drivers play nice and and that's just not happening with mclaren right 
Okay, the other goofy thing that happened during the race in Baku was uh, Yuki Tsunoda had a very interesting problem with his DRS. We've got some video to show you exactly what that looks like, so let's take a look and see what that looks like. Oh, the DRS is broke. The rear wing's broke yeah, on has. the back of that car. On Yuki Tsunoda's Alpha Tauri, it's, it's just the Alpha. Oh. oh, and there's the... There it comes back again. Oh, you can't tape a wing like that. Look at the difference. So they're getting out with the uh, with the gaffer tape. What is this? It's reliability. No DRS from now onwards. No DRS. Welcome back. So as you can see, Yuki Sonoda had uh, issues with his DRS. Half of it was just flicking off. He actually got a black and orange flag or black and orange flag to indicate that what he as he was continuing the drive that was unsafe for other drivers. And I, I bet you if he continued, he would have gotten a black flag. And we haven't seen a black flag for years. Uh, so obviously, uh, the the AlphaTauri team they had such a they had a very interesting strategy to fix it. And they basically told him, hey, we're gaffer taping your back wing. It's not going to work. Don't use DRS for the rest of the race. <laughs> and understandably, Yuki Snowda is pissed. He is not happy. So you get to see him the rest of the race. He still did well, and he still performed. I believe he was up in eighth. He was doing some really beautiful uh, overtakes, and he just unfortunate circumstances. And, you know, that's that's just race day for you. So it was a Red Bull 1-2 and then a Mercedes 3 for the end of the race. We're going to go to some music really quick. When we come back, we'll talk about some off-the-grid tri- off action or off-the-grid news, some things that happened behind the scenes uh, that wasn't necessarily on race day. Before you go, you can follow us on social media at DCSA Media Hub. And we're going to go to The Search by NF here on RiotRadio.ca. Welcome back. That was The Search by NF. And we were talking about Baku, the entire race, as to what happened, what was going on, and how everything turned out. So it was overall very enjoyable. The battle for the midfield was much more enjoyable than the actual first to third kind of race that happened there. Now, another thing that happened that was really interesting was Lewis Hamilton. He, you get to see him coming out of his car and he is visibly in pain and he is so sore and he is so tired um, and he's visible back pain. Uh, and you can hear him over the radio over the course of the race that the bumps were killing him. Porpoising was a massive issue for him and uh, uniquely only him, which is kind of suspicious. So, once again, I'm not going to comment on how purposing affects you or how the drive and how the ride affects you as the driver and as a person, because I will never get to experience that and never know firsthand. So, we can only take him at his word. And Christian Horner, he came out with a quote, and he said, well, if I was slow and I wanted my competition to slow down and not handle the porpoising as well, uh, or... I was losing in the, in the field, I would ask that the porpoising be removed and have all the cars raise their, raise their ride height, which makes them slower, which also means that for that Mercedes could have a chance to come back and win. So Christian Horner, he said, well, if I was, if I was the team boss, I would tell my drivers to complain about the porpoising as much as possible in order to basically get this changed and fixed. Now, here's where it gets complicated and here's where it gets weird, because 
during testing in February and March, Porpoising was there. And all the drivers, a majority of the drivers said, no, this isn't a problem. Let's keep it in. You know, it makes the cars faster and all that good stuff. Uh, if I've never talked about porpoising before, I believe I talked about it a couple weeks ago as to what porpoising is. But as a reminder, uh, it's when the car, the air gets under the car and lifts it up while simultaneously air is going above the car and pushing it down. So it bounces. And the rides are so low that the driver is basically sitting on the floor of the car and they can feel the bouncing. Uh, and it basically just just drills into your back as you're driving, from what I understand. But majority of the drivers said, no, this isn't a problem. Let's keep going. Now we're eight races in. Now everyone's like, oh, now this is a problem. Drivers are getting hurt. It's not worth the speed. And the FIA is right at the moment not saying anything about it. So we don't really know what's going on with it um, and what's going to happen from there. So is Lewis telling the truth? Is he fabricating some stuff or is he embellishing his pain? It's up to it's up to you to decide so make your own decisions and, you know, formulate your own opinions on it. Truthfully, I don't know. Uh, it, it's tough to say. I would like to believe Lewis is I'd like whenever someone says I am in pain, I would like to believe them. You know, I don't like the idea of some being able to fabricate that idea and make it seem like it's much worse than it actually is. Um But there's some good points brought up by other people saying that, you know, Mercedes benefits from getting this rule changed or making it so that porpoising is a non-issue or or much worse than it actually is. So I don't know. You know, you formulate your own opinion and go from there. Okay. So another really cool thing, there was an interview after the race. Max Verstappen, he has matched the amount of wins that Nicky Lauda and Jim Clark has had over the years. There was a very he had a very interesting response to uh to this comment from an interviewer. So I have a video of it, and we're going to play it for you right now. Now, Max, this is your 66th podium for Red Bull, which is more than any other driver in the team's history. Does that stat put a smile on your face? Well, hopefully many more to come. And actually, while we're talking stats, this is your 25th win, as I said at the start, equaling the greats Jim Clark and Nicky Lauda. Yeah, we also do more races a year, right? So if you have a good car, it's, it's not really comparable, but uh, it's nice for the books. And look, Max, final one. So Max had a very good point in saying that, you know, we do more races per year. It's hard to compare a driver now to a driver that was in the 70s or the 80s or the 50s, you know? It's hard to make that comparison. So... He was straight up saying it's good for the books and that's about it because the comparison is non-comparable. And I think that was a very mature way of putting it in a very subtle way of saying, you know, it's not great to compare us to the legends and the greats because the cars are so different. The races are so different. The formatting was so different. Okay, we got a quick image to show you before we close out today's show. Uh, But we're talking about Pierre Gasly or in Spain... He is Pedro Gassioso. There's an image of what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen, it's been circulating around. And they, they, I, I guess that's just what Pierre Gasly's name is translated into Spain, but everybody's loving it. It's so funny just to see Pedro Gassioso uh, finishing 
in the top 10 getting some points for his team uh, for Spain. And that's the thing. Uh, we talk about F1 in North America, and it's not that it's unpopular in North America. It's just we don't get that much coverage about it. Uh, meanwhile, in European countries, when we're talking about it, it's like in the newspapers. And people are talking about it left, right, and center. And there's more reporting on it, and there's more coverage of it. But there's a bigger audience out there because, you know, it's a European sport. Anyways. So before we go, we're going to take it, just do a quick review of the uh, Constructor and the Drivers' Championships. We'll talk about the Drivers really quick first. Now, the Drivers' Championship, obviously, Max Verstappen, he won last race, and he's now uh, in the lead. Uh, Sergio Perez is now ahead of Charles Leclerc because of that DNF, um, and everyone else pretty much stays where they are. I know that uh, everyone else is kind of shuffled around, uh, and... There is another driver that has taken place in the 10th place spot. I believe it's Pierre Gasly. Pierre Gasly has taken over in the 10th place uh, ahead of Kevin Magnussen. Okay, uh, moving over quickly to the Constructors. Constructors Championship. Uh, Red Bull is just increasing their lead uh, beyond Ferrari more and more and more. Uh, and Ferrari is still falling behind, which is unfortunate considering that it's such a strong early of the season. That being said, there are still 14 races to go, so anything can change it between now and then. Lots of points, lots of shifting in positions, lots happening. Okay, so that's pretty much our show for the day. Now, this weekend is the Canadian Grand Prix, and I'm sad to say I will not be there. I would like to be there. It would be fantastic. Unfortunately, I jumped on the bandwagon a little too late. So unfortunately, I will not be there. Uh, that being said, I was spoken to, spoke to a guy in the hallway. He is going to be there. So we're going to be, I'm going to be immensely jealous for him uh, as he goes. So just as a reminder, the Canadian Grand Prix hasn't happened for a couple of years because of COVID and the inability to get into the country. And this, if you remember correctly, this is what happened last time during the Canadian Grand Prix. We have Sebastian Vettel uh, replacing his number two spot in Park Farm with the number one spot of, of Lewis Hamilton. And that's it. That's our show today. Hopefully we can see more uh, as to what's going on in the Grand Prix. Also, the time zone, it's our time zone. So guess what? It's going to be like two, three in the afternoon. And I don't need to tell you to wake up at seven in the morning. Uh, and yeah, that's it. We're going to end off today with Canadian Summer by Dean Brody. Before you go, you can follow us on social media at DCSA Media Hub. And yeah, we're going to play you out with some Dean Brody here on RiotRadio.ca.